Hey, I know you're probably driving or running or cleaning the house or doing something else when you're listening to this, but look, if you're a B2B marketer and you need to start generating revenue from your marketing, then you have to check out our 12-week program, the B2B Incubator. It's built for small, in-house B2B marketing teams with limited time and budget. We give you the strategy, the templates, and the tools to start driving revenue, not just leads. So if you're ready to act on all the advice Kevin and I give you, next time you take that first sip of coffee in the morning, make sure you head to the B2B Incubator and apply now. There's only 10 spots available per cohort with our next one launching at the end of May, 2024. Remember, the B2B Incubator, apply now so you don't miss out. We've had B2B marketing managers, CMOs, marketers in demand generals, content leads, and more all go through this program and they're currently executing the demand strategies that they've created. Some are now even contributing as much as 80% of the pipeline to their business after working through it. Make sure you check out the b2bincubator.com and apply now to start driving more demand and more revenue for your brand. Okay, let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome to the B2B Playbook Podcast. Each week we demystify digital marketing and help B2B businesses grow online. We're your hosts, Kevin and George, a couple of digital marketing professionals. We've waded through the noise and made the mistakes so you don't have to. We'll cover the right plan to get your amazing business growing online, along with tips and tricks from our upcoming playbook, as well as insights from successful people in the industry. If you're in a B2B business and would like to see your marketing work for you, then this is the podcast for you. Subscribe to get the latest from the B2B playbook first. Remember, with the right plan, anyone can grow their business online. Welcome back to the B2B playbook. We're your hosts, George and Kev. Kev, how you going, mate? Not bad, George. Not bad. Been a hectic week trying to get the mic working. Yeah, I know this podcasting stuff is uh, its pretty difficult, right? If you have like a handy 10K laying around, then apparently it's not so bad, but... Um, I've currently built a fort in uh, in my bedroom, and uh, my fort building skills aren't what they used to be. I think I would have found this much easier, maybe as a. How old are you when you buy when you build forts? Seven is seven too old to be building a fort? Uh, that's probably about right. Seven seems right. That's about right. <laughs> okay, well, yeah. Anyway, seven year old George would run rings around um, current George. As much as we'd love to keep chatting about forts, um, Kev, this week we're going to cover off on the uh, the second stage of our overall framework, the five Bs. So, for those of you who have tuned in over the last couple of weeks, Kev and I are spending the first five or six episodes of this podcast uh, introducing our framework, which we call the five Bs, and they consist of be ready, be helpful, be seen, be better, be the best. Now, last week, we covered off on Be Ready, which is really about setting the foundations uh, for your digital marketing, for taking your business online. And we likened it to making sure that you have really solid foundations for a house before you build on top of it. And this week, we're going on to the next stage of our framework, which is Be Helpful. Kev, do you want to tell us a little bit about what being helpful means? Being helpful is all about how to start being actually helpful to your intended audience and how to establish yourself then as an online expert to that audience. We've broken the stage of being helpful into six parts so that it's more of a process which is easily understood and you can implement step by step. 
The parts are content strategy, creating content, distributing content, building a community, building an email list, and then finding your partners. We'll go into a little bit more detail about what each of these parts mean. The reason that we've broken it down into these six parts, and um, as you'll remember from last week, we broke down our last stage into parts as well, is um, when people tell you to be helpful, a lot of people just talk about content and they just kind of tell you that content is king. And it's something that Kevin and I were a little bit sick of because we know creating content can be really daunting, a really daunting task. It can be really time consuming. So we wanted to give the listeners really, as Kevin said, a process of working through that so you can do something that makes sense for your business um, with the time that you actually have. Kevin, digging further into each of these parts, we're going to start with the first part, which is content strategy. When we talk content strategy, we think of the who, the when, the how, and the what. The who is thinking about, well, who is your content actually for? Who are you targeting with your content? Who are you writing it for? Who's going to be the beneficiary of it? And we spoke about that last week when we talked about, well, who's your dream customer? What's your dream customer persona? What do they look like? And uh, what content can you create that's actually going to be really helpful to them? When and where then looks at, at what stage of the journey for your customer are you reaching out to them and speaking to them? Is it with the intent to learn something new that they're just exploring or just becoming aware of? Or are they actively looking for a service and then tailoring your content to meet that demand? Moving on to the how, the way, Kevin, I like to think about how is you split up who you're talking to or the way that you're talking to people into three different ways. So you have one-to-one, which is when you were speaking one-on-one. So that's when Kevin and I are just sitting around and having a chat. There's one-to-few, which is uh, perhaps when you're talking to a handful of people. That could be a webinar, for instance, and there is still some engagement there. There's probably some back and forth. There might be time for an audience Q&A, but there is still a very close connection between you, yourself, the brand, and the audience. And then the final one is one-to-many. And when you're communicating one-to-many, that's really when you're reaching your audience on a much larger scale. And that could be through posting organic content on LinkedIn or Facebook. And it might be an email blast that you send, or you might be a little bit further down the road and you might be uh, running some paid advertising with some messaging about your brand and the value of your company. So you're hitting a lot more people uh, with your content that way. So that's the one-to-one, one-to-few, and one-to-many. The next thing to consider when you're looking at your content strategy is the what. So that specifically looks at what your content tilt is and how you deliver it. So things like the actual topics that you'll be talking about, the lead magnets that you'll actually put together. That could be in the form of forms, questionnaires, white papers, or tools and templates that your users might find helpful. And it can even be webinars again. Just to elaborate a little bit further on content tilt, when we say content tilt, we mean what is your unique proposition in your content? So you might be in an industry where there's actually a lot of people who are already creating content, but what can you do to set yourself apart from them um, and make your content unique? Yeah, it's sort of like the uh, the generalist equivalent uh, for the angle. Uh, so a journalist will look for an angle in their content and you should be looking for that too. And that's called your content tilt. 
The term content tilt comes from a guy that we follow called Joe Paluzzi, and he started the Content Marketing Institute, and I think he's actually gone on to found another company that he's running at the moment called The Tilt. And um, the reason he calls it The Tilt is it's all about, well, what is your unique angle that you can take on the content that's already out there in your industry? Is there a certain perspective that you can bring using your expertise? Or if not, perhaps is there another way of delivering similar content that your competitors are or other people in your industry are, but in a way that's more easily consumed by your prospective dream customers? So an example might be maybe everyone's doing really long format content. They're writing blogs, which are thousands of words long, and uh, no one is doing video. So that might be a great opportunity for you to dive in and do some video on a similar topic and just put that same information in a much more digestible format. That could be your unique tilt. It's something that we'll discuss at length um, later on down the road. The final thing to consider when you're looking at your content strategy is ongoing what are the things you need to do. Deciding and sticking to a frequency or consistency of output is very important. That's really important, Kevin, and it's something that you and I are committing to, right? Because Mm. we're saying to our listeners that we're going to release our podcast every Monday morning nice and early so it's ready for you when you're driving to work on a Monday morning. And you can have really the strategy and things that we're talking about ruminating in your brain from the beginning of the week. And we want to be able to be there and to show up for you guys every week. And if we miss that, then if we miss that next week or in a couple of weeks' time and you're expecting to see us, well, you're probably going to fill that same time by listening to someone else. And then that's a real missed opportunity for us. So it's really important to stick to a consistency and frequency um, that is actually workable for you so you can maintain that contact and engagement with your audience. Who knew, George, that the five W's and one H, the questions that we learned in English, are so important now in business? Yeah, no, we're realizing that there's quite a few skills that we mastered when we were younger that are actually coming really in handy now. Uh, fort building and <laughs> the basic who, what, why, when, how. We finally understand <laughs> well. what our teachers were talking about in English. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think I'm going to have to give Miss Kirby Brown a call um, and thank her for drilling him into us. Kev, the next part of stage two, which again, listeners, is be helpful, is creating content. Kev, when you're creating content, you really have to keep in mind your overarching why. And we've spoken a little bit about this already, but the reason why that you're putting this content out is to represent yourself and your brand as an expert in your chosen field or niche. This is where you're really getting stuck into the nitty gritty and putting out that helpful content that will shine in front of your audience. This is where you actually contributed to the space and it's very exciting for us. Uh, for George and I, this means creating this podcast as well as the playbook that comes along with it. And the idea is to create that helpful content for your Dream 100 and customers and use your content to help to make it interesting. There's probably a bit of imposter syndrome that people are struggling with um, when they first do this and they think, oh, what if I go out and tell people something and there's a whole lot of people in there who know more than me, whether it be in a Facebook group or if you're on someone else's podcast. Um, The truth is you're probably at least a few steps ahead of the people who are listening. So just keep that in mind whenever you put yourself out there. Uh, There's a lot of people who are far better off for listening to what you have to say when you have some expertise in a subject rather than you being, I think, selfish and keeping it all to yourself. 
So don't be afraid to get out there and share what you know with people and it, it is helpful. Another common thing that we've seen our clients grapple with and others in the space have grappled with is when they come to producing the content, they feel like they're giving too much away for free. In George and I's experience and many case studies that we've read, this is not the case. Even though you're giving out that information, most of your clients might not be able to implement it themselves and the few that do probably need a little bit of assistance along the way in any case. Either way, you'll get many opportunities back from putting out that content than you would in terms of lost opportunities. Yeah, there's that old adage that people can copy what you do, but they can't copy who you are. So the more that you inject um, your content tilt, put your personality into it or get your unique take on something in particular, um, the less you have to worry about other people copying you. They're not able to take the goodwill that goes with you uh, going and putting out fantastic content every week and uh, they're not able to replicate your personality. Yeah, George, the healthier way to look at it is probably that if you're the first mover in putting out that content and being known for the go-to expert in that space, no one else is really going to be able to take that mantle away from you as being the first expert in the space. So it's important to be actually the quicker mover in getting your content out there and sharing your helpful content. All right, folks, quick breather here. In my time in B2B marketing, generally I've come to realize that there are just certain tools that can be an absolute game changer. And that's why I'm really excited to talk about Leadfeeder. Uh, it's a tool that helps you cut through the data and turn those website visitors into solid leads and opportunities for your business. Leadfeeder shows you which companies are checking out your site, tracking their behavior, and it integrates all of this with your CRM. And the result is it's basically like a secret weapon for targeted lead engagement and it really makes it easier for your team to convert website traffic into sales. Head to leadfeeder.com, give it a free demo and you'll also get a free extended premium trial when you let the rep know that you found out about Leadfeeder through the B2B Playbook podcast. That's leadfeeder.com. Okay, check it out. Back to the show. Yeah, it's a great point, uh, particularly for B2B, there's a lot of industries that are more traditional and move a lot more slowly. So some of you may find that there's a unique opportunity to go out there and, and be the person who's moving the fastest on this. If this kind of takes us to um, the second point within creating content, which is about creating helpful content for your Dream 100 and your customers. There's some great marketers and thought leaders in the space that we love hearing talk about this. Um, some that come to mind uh, is Timbo Reid, who talks about creating helpful content. Um, he's got a great book called The Boomerang Effect, which is all about creating helpful content um, for your audience. Um, another one that comes to mind is, and I talk about it regularly, Seth Godin. Um, he talks about it in a number of his books. Uh, one of them is Tribes, and he talks about serving your tribe. It's really the exact same principle. It's about creating content for your prospective dream customers that they'll love and that's really, really helpful. And then if you just continue to serve them, then you'll continue to develop a product that suits them, they'll love you more, and then your business is going to grow as a consequence of that. We've probably spoken a little bit too much about being helpful, but it is that important. Um, that is the key to everything. And whenever you're in doubt, just keep that in mind that you're being helpful to your dream 100 and your dream customers. To add a bit of color to that process, it's probably also helpful to consider when you're producing that content, how to make it easier to distribute. 
So consider the keywords that your Dream 100 or customers would use to look for that information and try to weave some of that into the content that you're producing. You'll naturally do this anyways if you focus on producing content that's helpful to that audience, but it's good to keep that in mind as part of that process. And then having a think about, in the same way, the structure of that content so that it's easy to digest for your particular audience, whether they prefer audio or video or even written text. Probably an interesting um, example off the back of that, Kev, is one of my clients, their um, key decision makers that they're targeting are a mixture of lawyers, people in procurement, and CEOs. And from our testing, what we found was longer form content worked really well for lawyers, but not so much for CEOs. And uh, we had to adjust our strategy accordingly for that. So whenever we'd send resources the lawyer's way, we'd make it nice and long and detailed because that is the type A nature of lawyers, I guess. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what they like. They like to be thorough. They like to sit down and read. And that's a big part of their everyday job. So it's not a big deal for them. CEOs are always shorter on time. They're more about using other people to give them the information that they then make decisions on. So that kind of content didn't work as well for them and we had to adjust the sorts of content that we provided CEOs. So just a little example as to how you have to adjust your content to suit who it is that you're trying to target. To take a a wider example as to how one of the companies that we love to speak about, HubSpot, uh, have implemented their content and how they've tailored it to really um, their key customer personas, they've actually gone ahead and they've created a separate blog for each of the main functions within a business that would use their software or find it useful. So they actually went ahead and created a a separate blog for people in sales, a separate blog for people in marketing, a separate blog for people who are in service, like customer service, and a separate blog for people who are, are website developers and have released heaps of helpful content to do with each of those business functions. As a result, each of those people end up discovering HubSpot and they're all talking about it, and then it all leads them to the obvious conclusion that, oh, these problems that we're having, HubSpot is actually a fantastic solution for that. And the kind of content that they build, it isn't just kind of simple question and answer, long-form content or short-form content, although that's all great. One method that they used which worked really well is they went ahead and built resources. So one resource that I know I've come across um, just by accident ended up on HubSpot's blog was using their email signature generator. So they built a tool which creates like a nice email signature for you. So for my agency, for the B2B playbook, we're actually using HubSpot's tool there. And that was a really great way of us coming back to HubSpot, getting affiliated with the brand. And here we are talking about it right now again. Another tool that they built is a customer persona builder. So Kevin and I have our own template um, for you to go through and fill out uh, to help you build your dream customer persona, and they've created one as well. And it's another very useful resource that's great for the target market. It's great for small, medium-sized B2B companies who need a resource like that that's going to help them save some time. So you can see, listeners, it doesn't have to be overly complicated. It's something as simple as an email signature generator can get users from different spaces talking about a program like HubSpot. They've just created tons of really helpful resources, even something that's simple that you use day-to-day in your business. Maybe your dream customers and Dream 100 would also find that helpful. And then it's just about putting that out there for them. Yeah, Kev, I don't want our listeners to feel like they have to be intimidated 
um, by the things that a company with billions of dollars like HubSpot are doing. Um, I want them to realize that there's actually ways that they can do this, even if you don't have a website developer in-house, even if you don't have a website developer on Retainer. Um, you know, Kev, I sent you that website, or the, it's a platform called Envato, E-N-V-A-T-O. And on there, they have like just plug and play things of the internet that make your life easier. We got a little jingle for our intro um, to this podcast from there. You can get website templates from there and you can get little plugins with like pre-built tools, which you can then update to, to do what you want to do to build a tool like HubSpot, but you know, it costs you 30 bucks and a couple of hours to implement at your end. So there's always a way of going and doing these things. And to the end user, they're super helpful. It looks like it took a lot of time and was hard to do, but there's always a way of going about doing it. And Kev, I just want to say like, that's, that's something that I think hopefully we can deliver a lot of value on to our listeners. Um, I really want this to be about leveling the playing field for, for small, medium-sized businesses and giving them access to what, you know, the big companies and the big agencies have access to, but without the huge budget. Yeah, definitely. And then combining that with that process, that plan that we always talk about uh, to help businesses work on their business. Uh, so all the things that we're talking about here, creating content and then thinking about your content strategy before you even do that, that's all helping you to work on your business as part of that process uh, as opposed to having to hire an agency or be in a big business who has dedicated teams to focus on the side of your business instead of just working in your business. With a simple process like this, these key points, you can start to focus on that yourself as well. I think another really good illustration of just how powerful content is, is Neil Patel. So probably a lot of our listeners may or may not have heard of him, but he's very well known in digital marketing uh, technical circles. He puts out heaps of very specific pieces of content about specific elements in digital marketing, which is too technical for most, but it makes him known as an expert in that field. Uh, I mean, maybe he, he just has an incredible team pushing a lot of this, but the objective is clear. He wants to be known as the expert in the digital marketing space, as the technical expert, and because he's always talking to his Dream 100 and making that helpful content for, for his Dream 100, he owns an agency and I doubt he has to drive any sort of traffic to that because it's all coming through from his content already. Yeah, I'd be very surprised if Neil is is creating all that content himself. It's it's absurd how much gets out there. I'm sure he has an army of people helping him. Kev, I actually have a theory about Neil. I reckon that what I find with his articles is that yes, they're technical, but they're not like super technical. I actually think that they sit in like the perfect place for someone who has like a good amount of knowledge that isn't like a super expert. And I reckon that probably a lot of marketing managers fit into that category. They're generally people who know quite a lot about a lot of different areas of marketing, but they don't know the nitty gritty of every single thing. And that's probably where his content sits is it's like perfect for them. But uh, I guess like when I look into it and I'm looking for something more specific, he doesn't go quite as deep on certain areas of marketing that other experts do that I might follow. And that probably works really well for him. As you said, he has his own agency. So he's actually building content for people who would hire him and who hires agencies, generally marketing managers. So 
he's got that absolutely spot on. Totally agree with you, George. Great point. Um, he's definitely aligned his content to his target audience. Kevin, we've covered off in the first two parts of being helpful. We've talked about content strategy. We've talked about creating content. Now, it's no good, Kev, if you've got all this content and no one's seeing it. So the third point that we're going to make is you have to distribute that content. Listeners, you probably already have a few channels in place to distribute your content, but it's time to particularly lean on those organic or free channels. So when we talk about that, we mean those that you can post to without paying for. Things like LinkedIn posts, LinkedIn articles and content that you can then share in a post. We talk specifically about LinkedIn in this example because it's probably the most relevant for B2B SMEs. Yeah, LinkedIn is, I think, probably where a lot of our listeners would start. Um, It depends how far advanced you are down our marketing journey. We know some of our listeners are a lot further on. Some of ours are going back and filling in some of these cracks in the beginning. But I think something that you all have in common is you should be distributing it probably through LinkedIn. I think that's probably a a place where a lot of your dream customers are going to be living if you're in B2B. Obviously, listeners, adapt as is appropriate for your business. Um, But as George said there, LinkedIn, B2B go hand in hand together. After you've developed a cadence for utilizing your organic and free channels, think about how you can nurture those audiences through EDMs, remarketing, and things like webinar and online resources. We use these as hooks to get that traffic engaged with the brand further. If you're then growing well, start to think about targeted paid channels to distribute your content further. But only if your business is profitable already from the free and organic channels that you're using so that you can reinvest the profits. We'll address this point more in the next episode, but the idea is that you want to be sustainable already on your organic channels so that your overall business model is sustainable as you grow. Yeah, Kev, it sounds complex, but simply it's start with the free channel, pick one, hit it hard. As soon as you're making money from it, you can start using paid advertising on that channel. Yeah, the only point we want to communicate in this part is that You can't simply produce the content and leave it on your website and hope that it will get to the audience that you want. You have to think about where can I put that great content that I've created in front of the users that want to see that content. Yep. And you got to ask yourself, well, where do my Dream 100 customers live? Where are they online? And that's where you put your content. And happily, you've already addressed that in Be Ready. Yes. (laughs) My favorite topic. My favorite topic. Okay, Kev. So now we're going to move on to building a community, which is really like another stage that we see as part of being helpful. Encompassing this part is a few reasons why it's important to build a community, even though you're already building the content for that community. It's important first because it builds a minimum viable audience that you can reach quickly. That audience will allow you to grow your business sustainably from a financial point of view. And that same audience will give you the feedback and check mechanism your business needs in deciding its direction before further investment. So telling you which pieces of content work, which services resonate with your targeted audience. All these things can be done as soon as you start building a community that you can then rely on. This can be done using existing platforms frequented by your target audience already. So you don't have to take them off things like LinkedIn. You can create a LinkedIn group where they can engage with you. Or if your audience is already on Facebook, there's Facebook groups and things like that. It does take some effort to build this community, but not as much as you think. Again, it'll be another topic that we'll go through the nitty gritty in another episode, 
but it's just another avenue for you to be helpful in. If I could just touch on another limiting belief that some of our listeners might have about building a community, Kev, um, one thing that we've experienced with our clients is they think, oh, well, I'm not that charismatic leader that you'd expect to see leading what Seth Godin would refer to as a tribe, what other people might just call a community, what Facebook or LinkedIn might just see as a group. They might think I'm not that charismatic person who can who can lead them. But what you have to realize is you don't actually need to have that charismatic leader. You are serving your audience just by being the connector and just by facilitating that relationship. And the value that they're going to get is by consuming your content within that group, but also connecting with each other and helping each other solve problems. So don't forget, you don't have to be that charismatic leader that you see in the pictures. You see in the pictures, I sound like a 65-year-old boomer (laughs) that you see in the movies, (laughs) that you see in the movies. You can just be the the facilitator. Encompassing that facilitator role, George, is being careful to moderate closely at the beginning the culture that develops in that group. But that's all that's really involved in building that community. It's making sure that you're connecting people together with a shared interest in the content that you're producing and making sure that the culture is right in that group to help each other to build and grow that group. We took a lot of good points about building a community from a podcast episode on the Small Business Big Marketing Podcast by Timbo Reed, where he interviews Andrew Griffiths about this topic. And they talk about building great groups for small business owners on Facebook specifically. Yeah, I really liked that one. Oh, that was a really good listen. As you know, I'm an absolute online community fiend. I don't know if it's a result of me being um, the middle child in my family. <laughs> so maybe there's always been... Um, I've been searching for a sense of belonging and I'm, I'm trying to find that in these different niche groups that I join online. <laughs> but I absolutely love being in communities because they're people who are really passionate about something really specific. And that's exactly what you can do for your, um, for your business is connect people over something that they're passionate about. Yeah, and then off the back of that, you then get those benefits not only in helping your audience better their lives, but also helping your business by testing your ideas against that audience first. Okay, we've covered off the first four points of this um, second stage in our framework, which again, listeners, is be helpful. We've covered off content strategy. We've covered off creating that content, distributing that content, so getting it out to the people who actually matter. And then we've just spoke about building a community. The next point that we want to make in this and the next part is about making sure that all of that leads to you building an email list. It's a topic that George and I are very passionate about. We've seen countless clients get punished for renting that space on other platforms. And what we mean by that is whenever you're posting your content and building that community, that audience on platforms like LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, whatever it might be, you're in effect renting space from those platforms. They could change the algorithm overnight and you get punished by that. That concept of borrowed space is very dangerous to a small business because we rely on that reach to get to the audience that we need to. And it makes it really hard for us to be helpful, to share that helpful content that we've worked so hard to produce to help our audience, but then we can't actually get it to them. 
So it's important to move all that traffic, all that value that you're building into a channel that you own and you can tap into at any time without having to pay for it or having to be at the mercy of these platforms. And that channel is email. So it's important to build an email list so that you can use that email to contact your audience whenever you need. Look for opportunities to swap an email for useful and helpful content as you start to produce more. Make sure you don't ask for anything other than the email, especially at the beginning when you're providing useful and helpful content. It helps build the channel for you, as well as the audience and trust in your brand and your business. This is ultimately where your wider network is and where your business value is derived from. Just to reiterate to the listeners, remember anytime you're posting on someone else's social platform, if you're posting on Facebook, you are basically chatting to your audience in a tiny, tiny room in Mark Zuckerberg's giant, giant house. And he would have a, a giant house outside of this, uh, this metaphor. Like Zuckerberg is so rich. I'm sure his house is massive. But within his house being Facebook, you're just taking up a tiny, tiny part there and you're just renting it. And at any point in time, Zuckerberg can say, Kev, I'm sorry, mate, I'm cutting you off from your audience. And he doesn't have to give you an explanation as to why. And then all that hard work that you've got, all that hard work that you put into building your audience is now gone to waste if you haven't collected those email addresses in the process of building that audience. And you should never feel guilty about swapping an email for useful content. That is helpful content that your audience wants. And you're building a channel that allows that audience to get even further helpful content without having to go to a platform that you then have to pay for, which means you have to charge more as a business owner to provide that content and that help to that audience. And at the end of the day, that's not helping the audience. Yeah, awesome point. If you feel guilty about taking someone's email and emailing them, well, then don't email them crap. Just send them stuff that's helpful. That's our promise to our listeners if they give us their email for the B2B playbook. I don't want to send them stuff that's not helpful to them. That's not the point of this. So if, if that's how you're feeling, then maybe you need to look at, well, what am I actually sending people who give me their email address? That's right. Don't feel guilty about asking for the email. Feel guilty about sending them crap content. Kev, I just wanted to give one more little example um, of how to move your contacts from that rented space on someone else's platform into your own email database. My sister's boyfriend, Will, shout out to Will. He has had early access to our materials and he's been going through and creating his own Dream 100. So his business is he sells um, tutoring programs for people who are doing business studies in their final year of school. And he identified that someone in his, in his Dream 100 um, would be the high school study board uh, Facebook group. So it's full of students who are doing business studies and they're all people who are very eligible candidates for his program. So what he did was he basically went into that group, um, commented on a few statuses, helping people out when they had questions. And when the time came, he posted a link saying, hey guys, I'm actually creating a daily newsletter. And what it's going to have is it's going to have business studies, questions and answers so you guys can revise for your upcoming final exams. He got about 50 or 60 people subscribe straight away to his daily newsletter. So he's moved them from that Facebook group into his database. And now they're all people that he could eventually sell his course to down the road. So a nice example as to how this can work really from a very early stage in a business. Wow, what a great example. And 
kudos to Will for doing something so good in the space right now. Obviously, for those Sydney starters listening, it's a difficult time for HSC students as we're all in lockdown and the exams are quickly approaching. So kudos to Will again for putting out that helpful content to help that group. Yeah, and his email open rates, he tells me, are at least 60%. So he's sending them stuff that they want. Fantastic. Well, the last part of the being helpful process, as we see it, George, is finding your partners. As small business owners, you know you can't do everything in a business, at least not as fast or efficiently enough to grow your business the way you'd like, no matter how many people you eventually hire and how much funding you might be lucky enough to get. George and I know this well, even just doing a podcast. This is where partners come in. They will help you grow and they will ultimately become your best revenue sources as well. They're the ones that will make your business infinitely scalable. As you start this journey on creating helpful content for your audience, start to keep an eye out on those partners who help you with things like creative content creation, those partners that fit your way of doing business and who you trust enough to recommend to your best client without any doubt that you'll lose that client. Trusting them to grow your own business in that way. Yeah, Kev, these are all your dream 100 again, right? These are complementary businesses and you guys really need to think about distinguishing competitors from complementary businesses. For us, for me anyway, at Waves at my marketing agency, we don't do websites. So anytime that one of our clients needs websites done, we help them do the foundational prep work for it and then we send them over to one of our partners, uh, Digital Recipe, who then go ahead and build that and they are a complimentary business for us. Once that person has their website built, then they then send that customer back to us. And so in the future, we're going to have collaborations with Digital Recipe, who are a complimentary business, and we're going to expose our audience to them and theirs to ours, and we're going to grow. The idea here, listeners, is to find those symbiotic relationships with partners and businesses that you already work with or you're about to work with, who you can then continue to work with in the future. Why we bring this up here is as you start to develop and create that content that's helpful to your audience, you'll start to need to outsource parts of that process. And it's important to not only look at that outsourcing as a function of that process, but a leader into your Dream 100 and building them further into your business. Yes, Kev. Well, it all just comes back to the Dream 100, doesn't it? Um, Before I go on about it again, I think we probably just need to wrap this up and recap a little bit about what we've spoken about so far today. So that's really the above the clouds view of stage two of the five Bs. A reminder again that that stage that we just spoke about is being helpful. And hopefully we said it enough times that you guys remember that stage two is be helpful. And it comes after stage one, which is be ready. Remember, being helpful covers starting to be helpful and becoming recognized as an expert. It's about leading into building sustainable community and support system around your business. The key takeaway from today's episode is being helpful is the key to being the expert. Next week, we'll look at amplifying that impact online. You can find everything that we've discussed today in the show notes. Thank you, Kev. And thanks, listeners. Cheers. A quick note before you go, listeners. You can find more great content and get in touch with us at theb2bplaybook.com. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and our newsletter while you're there. We'll be back the same day and same time with another episode next week. Thanks for tuning in to the B2B Playbook, the easier way to champion your business online.